The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. I'm sure Rebecca's saying applause is good, but a, a, a text or an email would be even better right now. So uh, be sure to sign up and help. Um, and it really kind of ties into what we're talking about this morning in our sermon as we uh, change gears from the book of Isaiah, and, um, you know, it's hard not to go right back into Isaiah. Uh, I really enjoyed it and um, saw some, some definite... Um, God just got much bigger to me through the book of Isaiah. And I don't know, did, did you feel that way? I hope you felt that way uh, all through the book, um, emphasizing different themes. And so after... Um, Isaiah, we thought we would take a little break for about four weeks, for exactly four weeks, and do the vision and mission of downtown church. Um, because we need to have that reminder of who we are and what we're about. And the vision of downtown church is uh, to be a radical community that loves Jesus and loves neighbor. To be a radical community that loves Jesus and loves neighbor. And what is our part in that? How can we make sure that we are uh, filtering into that that we might accomplish becoming this radical community that's loving Jesus and loving neighbor. Well, uh, we are a kingdom-focused. We have to be kingdom-focused. We have to be gospel-empowered, not self-empowered, but gospel-empowered. We have to be multi-ethnic, multi-class. We have to look like um, our, our city, and we have to make disciples. We are disciple-making. So this morning, I have the task of focusing in on uh, this whole idea of kingdom-focused. What does it mean to be a kingdom-focused individual and a kingdom-focused church? And, and that's what we want to look at this morning. So to do that, let's go to Mark chapter 1. Uh, pull it up on your phones. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, iPads, whatever you use. And um, as we're going to see, I'm going to begin reading in verse 14, but Jesus has just spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert and he was tempted by the devil. And Jesus throws down the devil. He meets him at every point with righteousness and authority and power, and he overcomes the temptation of the devil. And that's significant to what we're about to read. So let's look at verse 14 in Mark chapter 1. This is the very word of God. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So he comes declaring the gospel of the kingdom of God. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brothers of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So this is, a, this is the king of the kingdom <laughs> speaking with authority, calling men and women to, to come unto them. And they do and go in a little farther. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants and followed him. And then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching. Why? For he taught them as one who had authority. See this kingly thing? And not as the scribes, who obviously didn't have the, that authority. 
and listen to how congregations respond uh, to the authority of Jesus' teaching. And immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And this unclean spirit cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew. Now, Simon is Peter, we uh, know. Jesus changes his name. Uh, with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, so Peter was married. And immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. This is what the king does. And the, the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And then rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. He said to them, let, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And the king moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing, uh, what Moses commanded, for proof to them. And he went out, and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you that you have spoken. We thank you for these encounters of Jesus. We thank you that, that we have the encounter, the reality that Jesus came preaching a gospel of the kingdom. And oh, how we need to hear this message this morning. It will not be easy. As we see, the demons will resist, our flesh will resist, our minds, our hearts, the devil will be whispering skeptical messages in our ear. But oh God, we pray that your word would pierce us by the power of your spirit that we might not just get information but transformation. That we might be changed, that we might follow you we might follow you close. We might be on your hip. We might be on your side, just as Peter and Andrew and James and John. Oh, God, I pray that you would show us new things. Show us old things in different 
from different angles, that we might see you, Lord Jesus, and we might see what the Christian life is all about, that we might genuinely be a kingdom-focused, kingdom-dependent people because we are dependent upon you, our King. Come, O oh God. I need you. We need you. Bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think we would all agree that the presidency holds a lot of power. It wields a lot of power. Whoever the president is wields a lot of power. They have authority and power to to sway opinions about uh, the economy, the environment, transportation, commerce, civil rights, and on and on and on we could go. The presidency holds power. And it it, it is our view of what the president should do with that power that probably either makes us a Republican or a Democrat or nothing at all, Uh, neither one. Because we look to the one in charge to bring change and to bring good change from our perspective. As we come to this topic of the kingdom, what we have to understand is that Jesus arrives on the scene as king. The whole Old Testament had been setting the stage. One is going to come who will reign on the throne of David, and he will bring flourishing. He will bring healing. He, all mountains will be leveled, all streams. And we, 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 everyone was waiting for this king, and Jesus comes, and he declares this gospel of the kingdom. And it was good news. Why? Just think back to Genesis 1 and 2. Eden was glorious. Eden was a place of no pain and no sorrow, no suffering, no death, no, no sin, no trauma, no emotional imbalance, nothing. It was a place of flourishing. Why? Because Jesus reigned on his throne. And the people of God walked with God. The people of God met with God. The people of God did not resist God until they did. And when they did, what did God do? Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore, therefore what? Since, since you, since you think you can do a better job with your life. Therefore, since you think you can do a better job ruling creation. You think you can do a better job discerning what is good and evil, right and wrong. Therefore, give it your best shot. God gave them up. Saddest words in all of Scripture. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God, namely that he is God, for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God did the worst thing conceivable, and that is he gave us over to self-rule. Do you know the problem with you and me is that we want to rule our lives? And we want God to obey us. We want to rule over God. And we get it from our grandparents. We get it from Adam and Eve. We get it honestly. We want to rule over God. We want to tell him what to do. We want him to make our lives easier in accordance with our definition of what ease is. This Greek word for lust, God gave me up to the lust, is epithumia. It's over-desire. It's basically putting desire on people or things or self that should be placed on God. 
That's idolatry. That's the whole message of, of, of Isaiah. It's the whole message of the whole Old Testament. God is calling his people away from idolatry. Why? Because we exchanged the truth for a lie. We began to worship the creature over the creator. And it's because of that that the message of the kingdom of God is good news. Do you know what you and I need this morning? More than anything in all the world, we need King Jesus to rule us. Because he takes us back to Eden as we take ourselves to this world. (laughs) This is what we make. Eden is what he makes, the new heaven and the new earth. See, this is what's at the very heart of this. Let me, let me explain this. Uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 uh, preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And what he's doing is he is giving the basically the uh, constitution of the kingdom. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It, it, blessed are the merciful in the kingdom of God. And what does that mean? Jesus fleshes it out later on. He says, hey, not only do I want you to be merciful, not only do I want you to be forgiving, but I want you as my people, as a people that I reign over, I want you to love your enemies. You say, I can't do that. And we push that away. We all have people right now in this room, we all have people that we have not forgiven. But who's suffering for it? We are. The bitterness, the skepticism. Do you know how much work it, it involves to hate someone? You've got to avoid them when you're in the same room. You've got to make sure you've got to... And bitterness. And as long as there's bitterness in our hearts, our hearts shrink. They don't expand, and you can't love God, and you can't love neighbor to the extent that you were created to love them. And, folks, that's just one kingdom principle. You, you just kind of play that out into how what he talks about, how he commands us to use our money, how he commands us to use our time, how he commands us to use our bodies, how he commands us to use our minds, how he commands us to use our hands. And can't we all agree that we need the kingdom of God? And so this is, this is glorious. This is glorious. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. A new rule is in force because a new ruler is in town. And he is exactly what you and I need. But unfortunately, he's not exactly what you and I want. So we got to do some work. And it may not be fun, <laughs> but it's so needed. So first of all, let's unpack it. Jesus uses his authority as we kind of walk through this passage. Jesus uses his authority to create followers, not managers. So here, the scene is clear, and this is not the first encounter that Jesus had with James and John and Peter and Andrew. They had... They had encounters before, but this is the moment in which Jesus came and he looked at them and he said, follow me. And, and both of them, both you know, um, Peter and Andrew, left their profession and followed him. And they went from relative wealth to relative poverty. Catch that. Prosperity gospel preachers. <laughs> uh, he didn't call them to the next rung up in terms of financial means. He 
called them to a life of faith. He called them to a life of control. We're going to see later. He tells them, he sends them out. He says, don't even take two tunics. Don't even take food. You got to trust me. Because when you follow me, you better believe that I'm going to care for you. That's what he said. And so, uh, but James and John had to leave their father Zebedee behind. Now, to understand this, it was not completely uncommon for people to attach themselves to a rabbi. Um, they, that, they didn't have colleges and universities. You didn't leave home at 18 and go to college for four years and so forth. The way you learn is you apprenticed under somebody. But this is something radically different. It was, it was familiar, um, but it was different. It was familiar, obviously, in the sense that people followed their different rabbis and people followed them. But Jesus is different. Because as we later see in Luke 14, 26, Jesus said this, If anyone comes to me, if anyone follows me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He can't be my follower. Unless you put your lust, your epithumia on me, stated positively, unless you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're not really following Jesus. And that means none of us are really following Jesus. And so to think, we have to do work to think about this whole paradigm shift of, of you know, being one of Jesus' sons and daughters to following Jesus actively. We have to do some work. And what I want you to do is to really begin to think about what it would look like for you to see yourself as following Jesus in every moment of your life of bringing him in to every moment of your life. You have to, first of all, lose control. Are you willing to lose control? Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, take me. Take me. Take me where you would have me. Are you willing to change professions? Are you willing? Are you willing? James and John, Peter and Andrew, at least at that moment, were willing <laughs> They had some, some falls along the way. Peter would later deny him three times, and they would all abandon him. Jesus would die alone on the cross. No one was saved by their ability to follow him, but that's what he called them to. And yet what we need to see is that, yes, we lose control, and, and we have to be willing to hold our plans loosely but friends, think about, it's not just follow, it's follow Jesus. It's follow Jesus. Colossians 1, we read this uh, this past week um, on our Wednesday night Zoom call with um, Mary Wilson Hanna. Listen to who you're following. He is the image of the invisible God. Can I trust him? The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Can you trust him? And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Can you trust him? And he's the head of the body, the church. 
Can you trust him? He's the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless um, Elimination of Hurry, writes this. The end is life to the full with Jesus. The end is to spend every waking moment in the conscious enjoyment of Jesus' company. To spend our entire lives with the most loving, joyful, peaceful person to ever live. And I might add, the end is to live every conscious moment in the presence of the king. And when you're in the presence of the king, who's giving the orders? He is. When you're in the presence of the king who's created all things, through whom all things were made, and in him all things hold together, he knows how everything works. He knows all the intricacies, uh, uh, and he knows from every angle. He, he has the complete view of every problem you face, of every dilemma that you face, of every messed up relationship that, that you have, of all the stuff that's going on at your work right now, of all the stuff that's going on in your marriage right now. He knows every angle. He is not in the dark over any of it because all things are holding together in Him. He is, you are holding together in Him. As Mary pointed out Wednesday night, you can't even know yourself without following King Jesus. You can't even understand yourself without coming under the authority of King Jesus. Everything. He is the end of everything. Do you think you can trust Him to give you an expert opinion? And look at this. Do, do you think that you can do life without his church? Believe me. And I've, I've said this so many times. I've never been hurt more than within the context of the church. But I can't give up on the church. Why? Because it all holds together. He is the head. And because of that, as we're going to see, there's going to be flourishing one day, someday. Why can we trust him? Because he has reconciled all things by his blood. He's good. He's given his own life. He's given his life that we can say, okay, Jesus, there's nothing that you're going to hold back. And it may look like, it may feel like everything, all the circumstances in my life may lead me to the conclusion that, that, that I can't trust you, but I know that I can trust you because you lived, you died, you rose, you ascended, and you're coming back. And you are the Lord of creation. And you are the one that I was made for. And you're not going to make the mess that I have made. You're going to bring it back together. And that leads us to point two. Jesus uses his kingly authority to free us from evil. He enters the synagogue. This is crazy. Uh, verse 21. And, and they went into Capernaum. And, um, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. But immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Now notice, this man with the unclean spirit was just fine. He was safe with all the rabbis. He was, he was safe with, with all the other teachers. 
But he was not safe with Jesus. Why? Because Jesus confronts evil. That's what Jesus does. When you are in the presence of Jesus, he is going to be battling the evil within you, and that's why it is not fun sometimes. Because Jesus is battling evil. To battle evil demands a true encounter with Jesus. If you're not wrestling with sin right now, it's because you are not living in the presence of Jesus. If you are complacent about your sin right now, it's because you have, you've got Jesus right here where you want him. You've got to let him in. And you've got to let him in because he and he alone can say, come out of him. He and he alone is the one that can come in with his healing balm and free you from the demons within. But, oh, it's not fun. And, no, it's not easy. I think this is what Jesus was getting at in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, you know, why are you worrying so much? Why are you anxious all the time? Look at the, the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. They're not toiling or spinning, and yet your Father knows what they need, and he feeds them. But then he gets down and he says, look, so okay, God, we're not, we're not, we're not grasping for control and all that. Okay, so what do we need to be doing? He says in verse uh, chapter 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean, seek first the kingdom of God? It means to bring your life under the king. Seek first him. Come under him. Trust the king. And all these things will be added to you. To follow Jesus means you have to trust him. At the intersection of following and faith is obedience. Get that. I want you to write that down if you're taking notes. I'm really proud of that sentence. I've been thinking about it all week. It's made a huge impact in my life. I worked hard for that sentence, so let me, let me read it to you. <laughs> let me read it to you. Uh, at the intersection of following and faith is obedience. And let me unpack that a little bit. Typically, when we think about obedience, and right now, the worst thing that you can possibly be doing is feeling isolated from God. If you're moving toward guilt and shame right now, oh... I don't follow Jesus. I don't give him the kind of rule. None of us do. None of us do. So get, get over yourself. You're not a special case. I'm with you. Believe me. I'm with you. So at the intersection of, of uh, following and faith is obedience. Why? Because you have to be, you have to be following him to believe in him. And out of that comes obedience. Obedience alone isolates you in your own little world. It isolates you in your own power. And that's not what Christianity says. Christianity doesn't say, do all these things and then God might love you. No, it's, it's the antithesis of that. Jesus has already done all those things, so believe in him and God's going to treat you as if you've done all those things. But when you come to Jesus... You have to understand that you are following close with him, and now he's going to be doing the hard work of, 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 of ridding your life of the evil that exists, of your old man, of your flesh. And this is what sanctification is about. It's not you trying to get the love of God. It's you battling evil in the presence of the love of God, whose name is Jesus. This is so, it's so beautiful. He, he, and, and what I think he's getting at here when he says, follow me, and then in the midst of following him, he is calling out demons and he is doing this great work of, of um, 
of, of confronting evil in the lives of others, it reminds me of, of John fifteen five, where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. Don't isolate yourself with the law apart from following Jesus. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Why is greed and lust and selfishness, an unforgiving spirit, a critical nature, living for the accumulation of money and power, living for pleasure, why is it so lonely? Because that's what's isolating you from Jesus. And yet they're like old friends. They're predictable. You know what's going to happen if you move in this direction. You don't know what's going to happen when you move in the direction of following Jesus. Would you give up control and follow Jesus? And there's a key to doing this. Um, again, look at, look at verses, uh, if you have your Bibles open, uh, and I didn't give this to Matthew. I've kind of added this from the... That y'all get the benefit of all my failures of the first sermon uh, preaching this morning. Um, and this is magnificent. Um, verses 12 and 13. So the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So he spends 40 days, a month and a half almost, 40 days in the desert, praying, getting full of the Holy Spirit, battling Satan and so forth. And then we get to verse 35. So he spends 40 days. He has one kind of packed day of healing and driving out demons and all that kind of stuff, calling some disciples. And then we hit 35. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Was 40 days not enough? You can't even make it a day without getting in the silence and the solitude of the Father? Oh, my. Oh, my. There's a sermon series right there. <laughs> if Jesus did ministry, spent 40 days in the desert, did ministry for a day, and then immediately, very early in the next morning, he, he was so anxious to be with the Father. He knew he was so dependent upon the Father. He knew where his strength lied. And so he ran back to him in this desolate place. Friends, this is exactly what it looks like. Because Jesus knows how to follow because he's following the Father. He is coming under the Father. He knows he needs communion with the Father. And he goes straight to him. So this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Are you spending time, are you dependent upon time with Jesus? Are you dependent in, in silence and solitude, giving him the silence of your life, letting him rule every thought, every emotion, every action, everything? Are you bringing all of it under the, king, uh, under the, the, the power and authority of King Jesus? And so this is so much more than just, you know, what would Jesus do? Because what would Jesus do is acting like he ain't around. It's, Jesus, what do I need to do? He's right here. There's never a moment you can't talk to him. There's never a spot you can't talk to him. Turn off the radio in the car. Silence your heart in the morning. Silence your heart at night. Silence your heart throughout the days. Take, go to him when you're angry and say, Jesus, you got to help me. you got to help me. you got to show me where this epithumia is going rampant, where my lust, I'm looking to something to satisfy me outside of your presence. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. I need you right now. I know it's, I'm out of my quiet time. I'm out of those 15 minutes. 
you know, I know, but hey, I, I believe you're here right now at 2.33 on Wednesday afternoon, and I feel like I'm about to just beat somebody up. I mean, do you get it? It's following Jesus. He is everywhere you are always. Why am I so unregulated? Why am I so mad? Why am I so sad? Man, I was sad yesterday. Get some water. Thinking about it. Makes me sad again. So I visited my mother. She has dementia. And I could tell, and I'm going to honor, I'm not going to qualify, I'm just going to say it. I could tell my mother had not been using the shower, and I could give you a whole, you know, I bought a shower seat and all that. I could just tell she wasn't using it because there was stuff piled on it. And I said, Mother, you, you know, you need to take this sh- you need to take a shower. And she looked at me like she had never, she could not grasp the concept of a shower. She, my mother, who bathed me, had to ask me, now tell me why I need a shower. She has, she's gone. She's that far gone. And what do I do? I can drown in my sorrow. Or I can say, Jesus, I know one day, someday. I know you're in this room. I know you're with me. I know that you're not, you're not giving me this experience to somehow punish me or torment me. But I know you love me. Why? Because I see your nail-pierced hands, Lord Jesus. I see the nail-pierced feet. I know that you love me. I know this is so hard. But you're with me. Jesus says, yes, I am. You've got to follow me. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You've got to follow me. And that's how we live life. In our joyous moments, why am I so joyful right now, God? For Jesus, why is this almost making me more happy than you? There's never a moment when you can't go to Jesus and you shouldn't go to Jesus and live life in His presence. And then when you do, thirdly and finally, Jesus uses His kingly authority to heal, not create a vaccine. (laughs) So, listen to this encounter, verse 29. Um, and, and immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately, they told him about her. And he came, and he commissioned all the scientists of the day to come up with Tylenol or Advil. No. Um, He came and took her by the hand. That's so beautiful. And he lifted her up. He didn't have to do that. He just stood before the tomb of Lazarus and said, Rise up. This is so beautiful. Took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. 
But then notice this. So Jesus brings healing wherever he goes. But listen to this. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick and with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. You see, most kings come into the city and they enter building projects to leave a legacy for their kingly reign. Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he tears the temple down. (laughs) He destroys the only religious building in the city. You see, most kings come in and they want to create a lot of wealth and then spend it upon themselves and, and, you know, build statues to themselves and all these things. Jesus comes in and and tells um, the rich to sell all they have and give to the poor. He tells Zacchaeus, you know, come down out of the tree. I'm coming to your house. And what does Zacchaeus do? He gives him half of his wealth. He's taking money, not giving money. He's taking money that others might. This is a different king. And why did he do that? He did that so that he might build a people that would represent a kingdom, those being ruled by Jesus, who would go out and change the world. Listen to Luke 9. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority. For what? Over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom. (laughs) This is insane. So Jesus comes to heal us. He comes to drive out our demons. He comes to to empower us by His Spirit to be followers, to get in touch with the One who made us and who holds us together in His and by His very being so that we might go out into the world and be healing agents, so that we might go out and confront the demons in the lives of, the, of others, so that we might go out and bring healing and flourishing and, and, and goodness to our neighbor, that we might not... Give our neighbor what they deserve, but what we got. Mercy, grace, love. That we might lay our lives down. How do you do that? You're following Jesus. Where's Jesus going to take you? He's always going to take you to the broken and the messed up. I have to ask myself all the time, why? I feel like a magnet. Why do all these sick people, why does every... Why, It's because that's where Jesus takes us. He doesn't take us, I mean, he doesn't take us to the places that are perfect, because there are no places that are perfect. He takes us to the places where we can use the authority and the power that Jesus gives us to bring healing and grace and mercy and goodness that the world might see the invisible kingdom of God becoming visible. Here's a great... um, Visual picture. Some of you are just visual learners. Um, three years ago, Miss Betty's house was burned down. And here's a picture of her house um, that's burned out. And yet, because of uh, just um, those of us at, at downtown church just knew that we had to do something. This is her first home. She's a first-time homeowner in her family. 
and she's a matriarch. She she's raised more um, um, children than anybody I've ever known. And so we began to clean up. Uh, we began to to gut her house. And then just a couple of months ago, uh, we dedicated the house to the Lord in a ministry room. You see the finished project. And that should be a, a metaphor for all of us. Because it's easy to stand in the midst of a burned-out house. It's easy in the midst of, uh, of not knowing how it's going to happen and just say, it's just too big. It's easy to, to come into some person's life and just say, I just, it's just too much for me. And maybe, you know... Maybe there are times when we have to do that. But dear friends, when you are a kingdom citizen, when you are a king's son or daughter, you have authority to bring healing and to bring grace. You have authority to look at the violence on the streets of Memphis, to look at this home, this, this, this mother, one of Anna Hollage's students, that this mother stabbed her 10-year-old daughter to death this week, last week. We have the authority of King Jesus to go out into the world and to bring healing. We have the answer, and His name is Jesus, and His, his answer is also the church when we become the church. When we start taking on the reality that God has, has that, that's a metaphor, that burned out house is a metaphor of my heart and my life. And Jesus came in and he gutted it. And he replaced it with something new. Do you see it? Do you see it? That's what he's calling us to. Oh, there's some houses that need to be gutted out. But that's what Jesus does. He guts it out and he brings something new. Where do you need to go? Where do you need to trust Jesus that he's going to gut it out and he's going to make it new? Where do you need to go? Who do you need to go to? You may not need to go very far. It may be sitting right next to you. But where do you need to go? You say, I just don't know if I can do it. Look at verse 40. And a leper, there wasn't anybody more burned out and left out than a leper in that day. They, they had to live outside of the city. They couldn't even, they couldn't even act religious. They were, just, they were just unrighteous by the very skin, literally. The leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Where do we go this morning? That's where we go. We don't see ourselves, we, we need to see ourselves as a leper who has no hope. There ain't no cure for leprosy except Jesus. There is no cure for your sin except Jesus. There is no cure for your powerlessness except for the power of Jesus Christ. There is, no, there is no cure for your loneliness but King Jesus, who you were made for. He is the only one that can love you to the degree that you need to be loved. He's the only one that can guide you and, and lead you to the degree that you need to be guided and led. King Jesus. How do you come to Jesus? You implore him, kneeling before him. If you will, you can make me clean. And look at this. Um, Moved with pity. <laughs> That's our Lord. Moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Who needs to be made clean this morning? 
Who needs to be made clean? Come to Jesus. And when you experience the cleansing of Jesus, guess what happens? You become lawbreakers. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for cleansing for a proof in verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. The king himself said, don't tell anybody what to do. He couldn't control himself. Why? Because when you know you're clean, when you know you had leprosy and you're clean by Jesus, you got to tell somebody. The reason we're not telling anybody is because we don't realize we have leprosy and we're clean by Jesus. So, dear friend, understand that he is life and you can come to him. His arms are wide open. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it's easy. My burden is light. Would you come to Jesus this morning? If you have never come to Jesus before, I want you to know, first and foremost, I'm talking more to your neighbor who has come to Jesus than to you. (laughs) Because we need to come to Jesus every moment of every day. But if you have never come to Jesus, I want to offer that invitation. Would you come to Jesus this morning? He is the ruler that you're looking for. He will not make a mess of your life. It will end well, I promise. It won't be easy. He's not going to make everything straight. He's going to make everything all right in this life, and he's going to make everything right in the next life. That's the Jesus we know. That's the king of the kingdom. May downtown church be a kingdom dependent. Maybe we need to change that word. Not just focused. Kingdom dependent church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, King Jesus, that you sit high on your throne and you can reorder our lives in a way that brings flourishing and healing. Oh, may we draw near to you, King Jesus. May we receive you as Lord this morning, who is good and merciful, who will take the mess of our lives and make something really good of it. Oh God, would you do it? Work in us by your spirit, we beg. And we do so in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's respond to the message of the gospel. King Jesus, by bringing his money, demonstrating that we believe that everything we've been given uh, is his. Let's give him back his money at this time. You can do so in the baskets as you leave today or by texting the number on the screen.